Well, good morning. This morning we're going to take a little break from uh, our study of Genesis, a one-week break. And in the process, we're going to give Jackson and Rod a much-deserved much break from the, from the pulpit. Um, they will be back again next week. Um, today, instead, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about giving. Now, over the years, churches have developed a pretty bad reputation regarding money. Uh, and in fact, I think we're all aware of preachers who have become experts at encouraging guilt-ridden giving among their congregations. But the real question is, what does the Bible have to say about giving? Well, today we're going to try to better understand what our checkbooks have to do with worshiping God. And in the process, I hope we'll come to see a new aspect of God's loving character that we may have missed somewhere along our Christian journey. So let me pray for us, and then uh, we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your word. It's living and active, and it's so instructive. And so I pray as we study it today that you will open our eyes, you will change our perspectives, and you will speak to us uh, through your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the uh, words you have on this subject. Not always easy to uh, listen to, uh, an emotionally charged subject, but one that you speak about, and therefore we want to hear you speak. And so I pray that you will uh, do that today. And we pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago we celebrated Christmas, which, by the way, is the biggest gift-giving day of the year. And uh, in the process of giving gifts and making preparations for that special day, we... uh, Also, many of us were reminded of the Christmas story that's found in the Bible. And the story that most of us, I think, are familiar with is found in Luke. And, of course, it uh, involves a baby Jesus in a manger with Mary and Joseph at his side and shepherds around, visitation of shepherds who were awestruck, who were amazed at what they saw. But in Matthew, there's another story of another visitation that you may not be quite as familiar with, and this is a visitation by Magi bearing gifts. In Matthew 2.11, just one short verse, we're told that the Magi came and opened their treasures and presented Jesus with their gifts. They came for the purpose of worshiping this baby Jesus, King of Kings, and they presented him with their gifts as a continuing act of worship. They honored Jesus for who he is and were willing to give him what was valuable to them, which is the true essence of worshipful giving. You know, and as I reflect on that story, I'm reminded that God delights in our worship, but he doesn't need our gifts and our offerings. And it occurs to me that somehow the Magi, these mysterious people that we don't know a lot about, but somehow the Magi seem to have figured out how giving their treasures and worshiping Jesus were interconnected. But what about us? Do we see that connection as well? I know I haven't always seen it, and I suspect that I'm not alone in that regard. 
I'm afraid that uh, many of us, when we think of giving our financial gifts to God's kingdom work, we think of it as an obligation uh, or a duty uh, or at the very least a Christian responsibility. You know, but God doesn't see it that way. He wants our hearts and he knows that our hearts and our treasure are interconnected. Since he wants our hearts, just like he did with the Magi, he delights when we offer him our treasures with our whole heart as an act of worship. So today we want to try to better understand what that looks like, to give our gifts as an act of worship with our whole heart. And the Apostle Paul gives us uh, an idea of what that might look like. And he does that in the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians. So if you haven't turned there, why don't you turn to 1 Corinthians 16. We're just going to look at the first two verses, 1 and 2. Uh, Verse 1 says, Now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. I have to provide a little background here. The collection that he refers to is the collection that Paul um, talked to the uh, different churches that he had uh, planted and he was a part of in Asia Minor. The churches, the Galatian churches and uh, the Corinthian churches for sure and possibly others. And the, um, when, he was, when he was in Jerusalem, uh, at the church in Jerusalem, he, uh, he, Paul, that is, talked to the uh, Jesus' original disciples there and explained that he believed his mission His calling was to the Gentile world, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And after some discussion, they ratified that. They validated that ministry of his. And they sent him on his way uh, with those instructions. Then teach the word of God to the non-Jewish nation. But as you do, don't forget the poor that are here in the church uh, in Jerusalem. So Paul went on his way with those words ringing in his ear. And as he shared the gospel message with these churches, he looked for an opportunity to uh, take up a collection that he wanted to provide to the Jerusalem church, to the poor in the church of Jerusalem. And that's what uh, this verse 1 refers to, uh, now concerning the collection. When Paul uses the word now concerning in his letters, it usually means that he's responding to something that he received in a letter from the Corinthians church, uh, from the church itself. So uh, they most likely were asking how they're supposed to go about this collection. And Paul sends, uh, spends the next verse explaining to them how the collection is to take place. And you know what strikes me is that if, if what was important is that money was collected and given to the church church in Jerusalem, if that's all that was important is that money was collected, then it really wouldn't matter how they went about doing it as long as they got it. But how it's collected is important to God, it's important to Paul, and he gives us some insights here. And as I look at this verse, I I find uh, four different principles that I want to bring to your attention that I think serve us all well. The verse reads this way, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. First principle is that this opportunity to give as an act of worship is universal. It affects everyone. 
You notice there on the first day of every week, each one of you is to set aside and save. I think in our wisdom, uh, we would tend to think, well, if you have a lot, then you can give. But if you don't have a lot, you really shouldn't be expected to give. But from God's perspective, he wants to give everybody, whether we have a lot or whether we have a little, the opportunity to participate in this kind of worship by giving, even if it's just a little. So that's the first principle. It involves everybody. Second principle I see has to do with regular, planned, and systematic giving. He says here on the first day of every week, set aside a sum of, of money in keeping with his income, saving it up. So the issue here has to do with um, engaging the heart, engaging the mind, planning, planning to give. Now some of us are uh, much more um, inclined to be planners. Uh, I happen to be an administrator here at the church. Uh, Planning comes very easy to me. Uh, One of the sayings I have is, when all else fails, start to plan. So I I do it with its second nature. It feels very comfortable to me. But I've done enough financial counseling to know that some people, it doesn't come very, it's not very comfortable, it doesn't come very natural. And yet, somehow, some way, um, God's word is that we need to do some planning uh, concerning our giving. And when we plan, no matter what it looks like, that means we set aside an amount, we predetermine how much we believe God is calling us to give to his kingdom, to his kingdom work. Uh, We don't give what's left over at the end of the month. The way Elaine and I do this, for example, is we happen to sit down at the start of every month and we plan our spending for the month and we identify how much we believe uh, God is calling us to to give. Um, now, in our case, our, um, our income is pretty, uh, pretty set. Uh, I make uh, a salary from a, from a job that doesn't fluctuate much, and uh, we have Social Security payments coming in that don't fluctuate, so it's pretty easy for us to estimate our income and, uh, and, and the rest of our expenses as well as our giving. For some of you, however, it may not be that easy. You may work in, uh, in occupations where your income fluctuates. Uh, you may be in commission sales or, or other things. But regardless of where you are, the call here is to do some planning and to engage, be engaged in the process. <clears throat> One of the things the world emphasizes is convenience. You know, automatic bill pays is one of the things the world really um, stresses. And for many of us, we take advantage of that, and that's, that's fine. But when it comes to giving, convenience is not what Paul is talking about here. What he's talking about is a planned, active uh, involvement. And so over the years, we have, we, Cole Community Church, have been asked to uh, participate in a um, payroll deduction type of a plan for giving, Uh, One of the latest things, which we've resisted, by the way, uh, one of the latest things has to do with um, an ATM-type machine being placed in the lobby. Some of the churches are using this and allows you to uh, swipe your debit card as you you walk out and do your giving and your offering in that fashion. Uh, Again, uh, the, the concern we have is that our motivation is not to make it easy. 
Our motivation is not to make it convenient. We really want you to do what Paul's instructing here. Give some thought to it, prayerfully consider it, and um, determine in your heart how much you want to give. And that takes some effort. Third uh, principle is in proportion to how God has prospered you. In the New Testament, there's no set amount prescribed on how much to give, no percentage. I think most of you are aware of the Old Testament uh, in which the tithe uh, was mentioned quite often. Tithe is an Old Testament concept. Uh, It's a requirement of the law in which the Israelites were to make offerings to the Lord of 10% of all that they earned or all that they grew. But in fact, if you look at the Old Testament law, there were multiple tithes. And uh, probably the actual percentage for Israelites during that time was was over 20%. But again, the New Testament has no such um, requirement. So we operate under the grace and freedom that allows us to give uh, what we believe uh, we are... um, asked to give uh, and and encouraged to give by the Holy Spirit, but somehow it does have to be in proportion to what God has given us. God owns everything. He's allowed us to have uh, a portion of it, uh, to be good stewards of it, and um, we are to give back to him some proportion of what he uh, gives to us. The uh, fourth point that's uh, mentioned here, fourth principle, is without guilt or pressure. You notice that verse 2 ends, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Now, why was that important to Paul? Why did he care whether the collections were made while he was there or not? I think the principle here has to do with pressure and guilt. You're to give without pressure, without guilt. Now, our world, advertisers in particular, uh, understand this concept really well. And they are very, um, they're motivational in uh, how, they, uh, how they encourage us to spend our, spend our money. But Paul, I think, from this verse makes it clear that as we, as we determine in our heart how much to give, in connection with how God has prospered us, and we do that on a regular, systematic basis. There is no room for pressure and no room for, for guilt. Now, Paul uses the rest of chapter 16, which is the, the rest of the letter of 1 Corinthians, to explain the process that he envisions in transporting this gift uh, from the Corinthian church to the church in Jerusalem. But then he picks up the story again in his second letter to the Corinthians. So let's continue to better understand what Paul is uh, talking about here by turning to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And in verse verse 7, he provides one more principle that serves as a great reminder. And I want to make sure that we uh, don't miss that. In verse 7... Chapter 9, 2 Corinthians, he says, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's between you and the Holy Spirit 
It's a matter of the heart. Because we don't want to uh, motivate people to give, again, we believe that's the job of the Holy Spirit, we uh, do things a little different here than uh, perhaps other places. Uh, and a simple example, <clears throat> a very basic example, has to do with bake sales. Probably everybody loves bake sales as much as I do. And uh, whenever we have a mission team going out or, or youth um, uh, event, um, oftentimes they'll decide they'd like to uh, engage the body, engage all of us in the, in the financial uh, partnership by having a bake sale. Well, my instruction to them is always the same, which is our job is to inform the body that there is a ministry opportunity that exists and give you the opportunity, the, the, the prerogative to participate in that if you so choose. But our job is not to motivate. You see, if our job was to motivate, then we could do a number of things differently. We could have people um, <clears throat> dressed up certain ways, running around to get your attention. We could have a lot of balloons and other things in the lobby. We could have signs. We could have people at the front doors greeting you to come in. Hey, don't forget the bake sale, you know, that kind of thing. There are a variety of things we, we could do. We choose not to do that because we really want to simply emphasize informing and not motivating. Another example of how um, this takes place here at Cole is with our school, Cole Valley Christian School. They have started a program called uh, Snapshot 59. What Snapshot 59 is, is it's an uh, opportunity to make arrangements for a tour of the of Cole Valley facility and in the process, conducted by Brad Carr, I might add, and in the process, uh, it is uh, a chance to see what God is doing uh, with the school. And their desire and their hope is to inform potential donors and potential partners, prayer partners with the school, uh, inform them what God's doing in the school. And uh, their hope is, uh, just like in this verse, that God will... Um, that God will um, move in the hearts of the uh, of the people that are um, that participate in that in that uh, in that tour and become partners with the school. So these principles all contain the idea that worshipful giving is giving where the heart is engaged. It's giving that's universal, purposeful, in proportion to how God's prospered us and without guilt or pressure. Writing a check does not honor God any more than singing a song or even reading the Bible. God is only honored when we do these things with our heart fully engaged and our focus squarely on Him. Worshipful giving honors God, is directed towards God, and requires our involvement. So those are some principles that I think help us better understand how uh, we can give as an act of worship. But Paul doesn't leave it there. He continues in the same passage that we're looking at to help us understand the results of giving like this, the benefits of it. I think most of us, when we think about the benefits of, of giving, we say, well, that's pretty obvious. The person who benefits is the receiver. Whoever receives the gift, they benefit. Um, 
And Paul acknowledges, sure, they, they do benefit. But uh, read along with me here, beginning in verse 8, and uh, you'll see that the giver receives an awful lot as well. Uh, again, in verse, uh, in verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound in you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, and here he quotes from the Old Testament, uh, from a uh, psalm, He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your, genera- your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So what is the giver? What can he expect? If we give like this, if we give with a grateful heart, uh, verse 8 says that God is able, that is literally powerful enough, to grant grace to us. Grace is defined as unmerited favor from God. Not only that, but he will provide our needs, not our wants necessarily, but our needs. And he'll even provide what we need to continue to do good works. That's the, uh, that's, those are the kinds of things that the giver receives. And in verses 9 and 10, um, righteousness as well. You see, the destiny of a person who gives liberally with a proper heart attitude is a righteousness that endures forever. But you should also note that in verse 11 that the um, you will be made rich in every way so that, let's not forget the so that, so that we can buy that Ferrari, so that we can buy that bigger house, uh, possibly, but what this verse says is so that we can be generous on every occasion. God is the one who supplies our needs. He also supplies what we need to be generous on other occasions. Those are the kind of things the giver receives by giving. God also receives uh, as well. And in verse 12 and through the uh, rest of this chapter, it says, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, that's the recipients, but is also overflowing with many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in the prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. So God is going to be... is is praised uh, by your generous giving. He's praised by you, the giver, by the recipient of your gift, as well as all the other people that are affected and, and are touched. <clears throat> A lot of results happen 
um, when we give. And Paul ends by saying, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And what he's referring to here is the gift of the Son on the cross. He sent his Son a gift for us to die for us. No greater gift can be given. God is the greatest gift giver of all. And when we choose to be generous in our giving as an act of worship, we begin to emulate God's character. We begin to look more and more like Christ, like God, and that's spiritual maturity. So those are the results um, that uh, Paul lays out for the Corinthians, and I think the same results uh, for us when we give in that fashion. Oftentimes people will ask me when I'm doing financial counseling, uh, when, when the subject of giving comes up, to whom should I, uh, should I be giving? Who should I give my gifts to? And uh, once again, the Bible is pretty clear. Uh, there, are, um, there are several groups that are mentioned here, and I've just mentioned three uh, of them very quickly. The first is um, God is glorified when we give to the poor and those in material needs. Uh, a reference to Proverbs 19.17 um, drives this point home. It says, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. It becomes clear to me that God is concerned about the poor, and we should be as well. Brian up here a moment ago mentioned uh, the uh, needs in Haiti, um, a great example of uh, people, poor people in need, uh, poor people in need. Uh, that is the kind of thing that, uh, um, that we might consider when we think in terms of giving uh, to the poor. Uh, second group mentioned is the family of faith. God is glorified when we give to those in the family of faith, in our own church body and other, others who are brothers and sisters in Christ. Galatians 6:10 says therefore we have opportunity while we as we have opportunity excuse me as we have opportunity let us do good to all people especially those who belong to the family of believers here at Cole we give to people in financial need uh, through the food cupboard many of you are aware of that uh, through the fellowship fund uh, every once a month we take an offering uh, that goes to people in our body that are that are find themselves in some financial uh, difficulties. So uh, focusing our giving on uh, a family of faith is also important. And one last one that you may not have really thought about, uh, I'd like to bring to your attention, and that is God is glorified when we give to our home church. So the question might be, well, why? Why, why, would, why would that be? And so to wrap up, I'd like you to turn to uh, Colossians, if you would, with me. Colossians chapter 1. Paul is describing, starting in verse 24, let's uh, begin at 125. Paul's describing what he has come to understand as his role uh, in, in, um, in his mission concerning the church. In, in verse 125, Colossians, he says, I have become a, its servant, that is, the church's servant, by the commission, of God, commission that God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery 
that has been kept hidden for the ages and generations, for it is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope and glory. That's the mystery that Paul was given uh, the commission to explain to the Gentile world. Christ in you, the hope and glory. That's the same mission that we have uh, in your home church. Verse 28, we proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect or mature in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all energy, which he so powerfully works in me. Paul understood that his commission was to teach and admonish with all wisdom. But I don't want you to miss the last part of that verse. So that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. That's the goal that Paul saw. His goal was not just to teach. His goal was to teach so that he could present everyone complete in Christ. So this word present is interesting. It's the same word that's used in Luke when Jesus' parents, when he was just eight, years old, eight days old, came to the temple and presented him to God, consecrated him to God. That's, that's the idea. Paul understood that Christ is the one who grows us up. Christ is the one who matures us, and yet he realized he had a role to play in this. So it is with us. Our pastoral staff, under the direction of our elders, understands that we have a responsibility to do just that. We preach the word, we, ad- we admonish, but we look forward to being able to present each of you complete in Christ. That's the role of the home church. Uh, that's a role that um, Paul took very seriously, and it's one that we take very seriously. So I began by asking the question, is your giving, uh, do you see your giving, do you view your giving as an obligation or a duty, Christian duty? If you do, then you're trusting yourself because the conclusion is I'm helping God out here. I'm giving because he calls me to, because I'm supposed to, because if I don't, I'm not sure who will. Those are the kind, that's the kind of logic. That isn't what God wants. But if your giving is focused on him as an act of worship, then you place your trust in him. And your character gets changed. You become uh, more giving in your character, just like, just like God is more giving. And I think that's really what all of us long for. We want to honor God in the way we handle our checkbooks. And we want to grow and mature. And I know as a part of the elders and the pastoral staff, we look forward uh, to watching that happen. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. Uh, Thank you that we were able to um, understand what our checkbooks have to do with worship. Uh, Thank you that you don't just require money from us, you require our hearts. And I pray that we might learn more and more how uh, to do that. And we pray in 
the name of Jesus. Amen.